Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It has been a week. Uh, It was one week ago this minute that I learned and then shared with you about the death of my brother-in-law, Joe. Uh, God is good. Grief is real. So, too, is the substance of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Um, I can't even really remember what I said a a week ago, but um, thank you for all of those of you who have been praying with and for me and my family, your expressions of concern, the flowers, the notes, the emails, the texts. You are precious. Um, Thank you so very much. I wanted to share one um, expression uh, with you today, and it is from a man named Jeremy to my sweet husband, Jim. And I just, I feel led to read it to you this morning. So here goes, which is how Jeremy's text starts. Here goes. I'm getting older. What that means is that I have survived so far, and a lot of people that I have known and loved did not. I've lost patients, friends, best friends, acquaintances, co-workers, grandparents, relatives, teachers, mentors, students, neighbors, and a host of other folks. I wish I could say I get used to people dying. I never did. I don't want to. It tears a hole through me whenever somebody I love dies, no matter the circumstances. But I don't want it to not matter. I don't want it to be something that just passes. My scars are a testament to the love and the relationship that I had for and with that person. And if the scar is deep, well then, so was the love. So be it. Scars are a testament to life. Scars are a testament that I can love deeply and live deeply and be cut or even gouged and that I can heal and continue to live and, yes, continue to love. And the scar tissue, well, it's stronger than the original flesh ever was. Scars are a testament to life. Scars are, the, are only ugly to people who can't see. As for grief, well, I find it comes in waves. When the ship is first wrecked, you're drowning. Wreckage all around you. Everything floating around you reminds you of the beauty and the magnificence of the ship that was and is no more. And all you can do is float. You find some piece of wreckage and you hang on for a while. Maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe it's a happy memory or even a photograph. Maybe it's a person who is, well, also floating. For a while, all you can do is float and stay alive. In the beginning, the waves are 100 feet tall and they crash over you without mercy. They come 10 seconds apart, don't even give you time to catch your breath, and all you can do is hang on and float. And after a while, maybe weeks, maybe months, You'll find the waves, well, they're still 100 feet tall, but they come further apart. And when they come, they still crash all over you and wipe you out. But in between, you can breathe. You can function. You never know what's going to trigger the grief. It might be a song, a picture, a street intersection, a smell of a cup of coffee. It could just be about anything. And then the wave comes, crashing. And in between the waves, 
Well, there is life. Somewhere down the line, it's different for everybody, you find the waves are only 80 feet tall, then 50 feet tall. And while they still come, they come further apart. And you can see them coming. The anniversary, the birthday, Christmas, landing at a particular airport. You can see it coming, for the most part, and prepare yourself. And when it washes over you, you know that somehow you will, again, come out the other side. Soaking wet? Yes. Sputtering? Yes. Still hanging on to some tiny piece of wreckage? Yes. But you'll come out. The waves never stop coming, and somehow you don't really want them to. But you learn that you'll survive them. And other waves will come, and you'll survive them too. And if you're lucky, you'll have a lot of scars from a lot of loves and a lot of shipwrecks. Our family is sending every ounce of our love your way. Dr. Peter Kapsner is up next. Joining me now, Dr. Peter Kapsner. Peter, let me lead off by saying um, thank you for your tender mercies a week ago and for just rolling with me through the waves of that uh, of that hour. Yeah, no, of course, Carmen. I mean, I know that uh, if the roles had been reversed, you would have done absolutely the same for me. It's part of just, I think, the 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 sweet difficulty of being God's people together, right? There's always, in the difficulty, there's a sweetness in that, and and that that you just read at the top of the hour. I mean, example A, right? I mean, that right. was phenomenal in terms of what God's people are capable of doing in terms of ministering with one another and, and bearing each other's burdens. That was really a stunning read that you had. I was I was pretty captivated there. Yeah, that guy builds houses now. He used to be an EMT. Now he builds houses, and I'm thinking to myself, he should be writing books. Well, for sure. Wait, like, if I would ever even think about writing a book, I'm going to quit that right now because that's the right. guy that has to write a book. That was phenomenal. I know. I thought I'd just drop a notepad off at his house and just see if he could just start writing for me because I thought it was so good. Yeah. <laughs> that was really good. In your spare time, dude. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, for sure. All right. So um, I want to I want to lead off. I, we have a very serious conversation to have about um, how the left needs Jesus. But um, I would like to start off with the mice plague. Because I feel like a plague of mice, you are the only person I could talk with about what is uh, what in the world is happening in Australia, where they are facing a plague of mice. Tell people what's going on. Yeah, I was I was stunned by this. I told Paul Perot while, while uh, I was getting set up here this morning. I said, "Why, well, you know, can't they just buy a bunch of cats? Isn't how the, the, this, how this works?" And <laughs> and then I realized that they're talking billions of mice, and so billions of you know, mice. You, Oh, oh, it's so creepy. It is so creepy. Like, if you want to be creeped out this morning, head to the <laughs> Internet, just Google any picture about the mice plague in Australia, and it is as creepy as it gets, as if that uh, that island doesn't have enough critters on it, right, that can kill you anyway. Now we're talking <laughs> billions of mice that are running roughshod. And, and I thought, of course, like I'm sure some of our listeners do too, right, I thought immediately – that uh, th- this is another one of the plagues that portends the end of all things, only to find <laughs> out that the, that the mice tend to crop up like this about every 20 or 30 years. They had a terrible mice plague in the 90s. It sounds like they had another mice plague in the 80s. And so 
I just had, I had to get talked off the ledge a little bit this morning because between blood moons and, and locusts and, and mice running in Australia and COVID and everything, I know, genuinely speaking, I know people are wondering, is this the end of all things? But I would suggest that we, we these things run in cycles. And uh, for people that are, and, and I, I admit I'm a little bit like this, that, that sort of hope you're going to live at the end of all things, that you're going to be here when Jesus returns and, and that we see the end of the world. My best Not if there's a mice plague. Text, not, no, not that is going to get plague. way worse than a mice plague in Australia. So I think I want to tap out before this whole thing happens, because if that's just a little sign of the end, I want out at this point right now. This is this is why the pre-trib people are so popular. <laughs> totally. They totally, totally. No, if you I'm don't to, understand yeah. that or get your joke, get that joke, ask your pastor. Um, so because I'm not having that debate on air. Um <laughs> I would like to just say farmers are geniuses, and I felt like that the farmer featured in the story who gathered up 6,000 mice in one evening with a basically the equivalent of a baby pool, a broom, some liquid dish soap, and a little boy. Like, right? Yeah. That seemed yeah. to be the formula they captured and killed 6,000 thousand mice in uh, in one basically one hay barn in one night it doesn't it doesn't even make i mean necessity is the mother of invention right (laughs) it it does not make sense to me that you could have six thousand mice in in one spot but yeah you know that was only the first wave because they had to go back the next (laughs) night and finish the job but the the the, yeah Yeah, so crazy. I mean, they they're prolific. They were saying that they can have new litters every nineteen uh, nineteen to twenty one days, oh. but in even better circumstances, they, it sounds like that can speed up. I mean, Hallie and I rattled off a lot of kids over about a ten year period of time. It was like five kids over ten years. So that's <laughs> nothing compared to the mice and what they're capable of doing. So yeah, I mean, Carmen, just for a day, if we could be farmers and just experience the the plague of mice for one day, you just wonder what we'd be able to come up with in terms of just innovation and necessity to deal with them. It it was a stunning number. Our our cats bring home about four per day on a regular basis. And I think that's a lot of mice. And this is, this is nothing. Fat cats, really healthy snakes. That's what's going to be next. Uh, yep. After the mice plague, and it's just gross. It's it just is, gross. It, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Okay. So um, yep. that story aside, Peter Capster and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to have a very serious conversation. Uh, Cornell West has written a piece: "The Left Needs Jesus." We'll be right back. Hey, come on, baby. All right, uh, Peter the Pied Piper, who has already this morning picked a peck of pickled peppers. How many peppers can Peter Piper pick? I don't know. Peter Kapsner is, yeah. yeah, I've been up for a while. Peter Kapsner is here. You know, I, it's probably not fair to everyone else for me to just say he's my favorite conversation partner of the week. But I think everybody knows it anyway. So, um, all right. You and I have both read um, this piece by Emma Green in The Atlantic, Cornell West on why the left needs Jesus. Um, Cornell West found himself, you know, out of step with out of step with cancel culture. I think people are going to be surprised that even he is not progressive enough for the current progressives. 
Yeah, indeed. This is one of those articles that did surprise me. Like you said, I I hate being wrong on certain things and having to change my mind. But with Cornell West, I had to change my mind at least a little bit because I haven't historically been terribly sympathetic towards his positions. He seems to be the kind of person that uh, that academia can breed from time to time, which is a bit of petulance, a bit of arrogance, uh, sort of combined. And so he's been in a lot of different institutions teaching. And, and I, I sort of dismissed some of his thinking as a result of it uh, because of just some of the track record. But on reading this article, I thought he had a number of incredibly thoughtful uh, points that really made me say, huh. And, and among them was when he talked about what we can learn as believers in this time from Black Christian heritage. Uh, there's a there's a um, position that was recently posted at Oral Roberts University called the American Christianities. And you, if you wanted to be a professor of American Christianities, you could apply for that position. And some of my buddies were texting me just saying, really, we have different versions of Christianities in America, that that would even be a thing. And I said, absolutely. There, there, you are so conditioned by your background and by your heritage and by your denominational experiences, uh, by just life experiences in general, that I think we don't always appreciate how many different kinds of Christianities there are. And within those different Christianities, there's a lot that can be learned. There's a lot that probably needs to be dismissed. And what Cornell West was pointing out was that in American versions of Christianities, we are so often um, focused on success in a lot of different ways, at least earthly kinds of success. And Black Christianity can can invite us into a different kind of success that happens when you really have been people that have been oppressed for 400 years in a variety of ways, and you have a heritage of slavery. I think as a, as a white believer myself, uh, married by an African-American pastor and growing up, with an African-American best friend, I always saw myself on the short end of appreciating what life is like outside of my context. And and I think Cornell did a good job of that. But the other part, and the part that you referenced too, is he's saying that uh, his peers in the political sides of things on the left, uh, there really is, it's, it's become vacuous in terms of, uh, or vacuous in terms of their spirituality. And they're trying to make social change believing they're being spiritual in so doing, but don't have any context of the ideas of sin and suffering and sorrow that you need theologically, I think, to underpin your your wanting to help other people. If you don't have a robust understanding of sin, if you don't have a robust understanding of the spiritual darkness, then pretty much all of your efforts are going to come to not and, and helping other people. And you may even become very arrogant and canceling uh, in the process. So I thought it was a pretty compelling article on a number of levels, Carmen. And one of those things that believers listening this morning, it's even if you don't agree with everything, it's worth the read because it helps challenge our thinking a little bit to recognize that there are so many different kinds of Christianity, not all of which are faithful, but many of which um, are, we could learn from if we're willing to just open our eyes a little bit. Yeah, so the easiest way to um, to start talking about that would be simply to kind of break it down and say, well, there are obviously Catholic Christians and there are Christians who are Presbyterian or Methodist or like, right, we would, the first way to break that down is denominationally. But what you and I are trying to point to is something much deeper than that. Even among Roman Catholics, there are a variety of Christianities. Even among Presbyterians, there are a variety of Christianities. And I think when we say that, we are pointing to the reality that Paul was pointing to um, in Galatians, right? There's a gospel 
And then there's lots of other Gospels. Hmm. So yeah. maybe I think the question for each of us that, you know, when you when you ask the hard question at the root of this, is there, you know, sort of one gospel, you know, faithful to the truth of the gospel? And then, you know, is part of living today in in the world that I have to be able to differentiate and see all the other false gospels as not the truth? Yeah, I think that is such a key point, uh, Carmen, is, is how do you discern and, and how do you work through? So so what is this kingdom about <clears throat> that Jesus inaugurated with his death and resurrection? What is this gospel? What is this good news? And and I think just it, one of the big debates always is, it, does it have to only to do with afterlife and, and where we go to when we die? Or it does it have to do with helping to sort of fix the world on some kind of levels? And, and I think the answer to that question is is yes on both levels. For those of us that grew up within a Christianity or a Christian pattern, uh, as my advisors at university used to, used to say, that focused on, so where are you going to go when you, when you die? Um, that's a pretty thin Christianity, and, and it usually descends from a, a specific kind of Protestant uh, stream called the Reform stream. And it's an, obviously, it's a critical question. And, and salvation has to do with the afterlife. But if we're not careful, we don't recognize that salvation, when Jesus talks about it, and when it's written about in the New Testament, it's always happening as a present and ongoing experience. It's not something that people get just when they die, but in, in the original language of the Greek, it's present and ongoing, and it means a rescuing from and a healing from. And I, I think we're under no illusion that we can heal this world in its entirety or rescue, but we can shine light about the way things are meant to be, to bear witness then to the now and coming kingdom, right? Like this, this is who we are as the people of God. And so when we help people, I don't have any sympathy towards helping the least and the lost through political means or critical race theory or some of these philosophies and sociologies that, that I end up having to, to navigate in academia. I just, I don't think they're helpful on really much of any level. But that doesn't mean that I should be turning a blind eye from because we are meant to shine the light of the now and coming kingdom, as I was saying, and how we treat one another and, and how we move towards each other and how we're willing to suffer for one another and bear one another. That's what bears witness. And, and it actually, frankly, I think bears witness in a much brighter way when we do that through the power of the spirit, not through the power of politics or sociology, through the power of the spirit, we live a different way. That shines more brightly than just saying the words of what was true 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross. Theologically, we have to demonstrate it as well. And I think that's where we can really find some great hope in American Christianity moving forward. Um, the, the conversation about Cornell West um, reminded me of something I read uh, uh, from a guy at Yale, Confessions of a Secular Jesus Follower, right? And all of this reminds me that you can take things from Christianity, and yes, you can um, weave them with Marxism and neo-pragmatism and transcendentalism. Like, that's pretty much what Cornell West does in terms of the intellectual contribution that he is making to the broader conversation. And so I want to be clear, as folks are listening today, um, you know, what I don't hear me say what I'm not saying. Um, and so <laughs> what Peter and I are trying to do is have a conversation that is happening in the wider culture, recognizing that even when Cornel West points to things about the black church, he's not actually lifting up the black church and um, and Christianity as 
something that he believes in, nor something that he recommends others follow. He what he's what he does is he draws things out of um, the black church experience and he weaves them with Marxism, neo-paganism, transcendentalism, yep. a number of other things um, as he's uh, constructing his philosophical uh, view. So, Peter, thank you, as always, for helping us pull the threads of so many conversations. It's always a delight. We really appreciate it. No, oh, I love it, Carmen. It's so great to be with you and Paul, always. And, you know, I'm a little surprised you didn't come back with Mickey Mouse Club at one point, but mm-hmm. I think the Pied Piper will do, right, uh, at this point? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because <laughs> Mickey Mouse, you know, that's not really a scary mouse. That's actually really true. The Pied Piper was the right one. If, if we could get a Pied Piper into Australia, he could probably lead the billions of them out of there. That's for sure. You know, you could you could go. you got time. All right. That's Dr. <laughs> right. Peter Kapsner. We'll talk with him again soon. we got to take a break for Breakpoint. All right. Do you feel fully known? I mean, we we know that we're fully known. We know that God knows fully, and therefore we are fully known. But sometimes we don't feel like we are intimately experiencing that reality of drawing near to God, even as God draws near to us. Mo Isom Aiken joins me next. The book is fully known. We're going to talk about the kitchen floor and the mess there, and we're going to talk about the reality of intimacy with the Lord our God. This is Max Lucado. On one particular day, Jesus was drawn to the pool of Bethesda. His eyes landed upon a man who had been sick for 38 years. Jesus asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. What an odd question to ask a sick person. Would you like to get well? To us, Jesus asks, would you like to get well? Or do you like being sick? Getting well means getting up, getting a job, getting to work. Do you really want to be healed? That's the question Jesus asked then. That's the question Jesus asks all of us still. This is Max. Locato. This is amazing grace. This is a Mo Isom Aiken joins me now. You will remember her from our conversation about Wreck My Life back in the day. Well, she um She's got quite a different life now than she had then, and we're going to talk with her now about her brand new book, Fully Known. Mo, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you again. All right. So it's wonderful to have you here today. Um, first of all, like, let's just talk about how your family has grown since <laughs> uh, the days of Wreck My Life. Yes, exponentially. I think when I released Wreck My Life, I was a newlywed. Um and now we just welcomed number four. Uh, so we, it's a noisy house. You might hear some things in the background, but yeah, we've been married just about seven years now and have uh, four wonderful kids to show for it, two girls and two boys, and it's an adventure. 
So I totally love that. And we could, you know, we could talk about marriage. We could talk about kids. Um, Let's talk about the reality that, you know, life got messy. Life gets messy. Life is messy. Um, So take us to the kitchen floor. Like, right. I think that's where we maybe start the conversation about fully known. Take us to the kitchen floor. Yeah. Well, I remember, um, goodness, hands very full and life very full. And one day I was, uh, man, just burnt out. Um, I was working so hard, doing so many good things, right? Kingdom building things and, you know, laboring ministerially and as a mother and as a wife and going, 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 doing, doing, doing. And yet I remember just breaking down one day on my kitchen floor and crying out like, God, do you even see me? I feel so far from you. I'm doing all of these things, but I feel so far from you and I feel invisible right now. And just these wrestling questions of like, what is going on? And it was, it was there that he met me. He whispered, you know, I do holy work in quiet caves. And I realized as I began to process the fullness of what that meant, that the walk of faith and my relationship with God, our relationship with our creator is just that it's relationship. It's so much more than the doing, doing, going, going. He's inviting us to be with him and to be connected to him intimately and to, um, draw away and, uh, hear his voice and, commune with him so that our goings and our doings are sustained by connection, um, by the power source that is his spirit. But man, it's easy. It's easy in this culture, in this world to get so caught up in the good things, you know, doing so many things in full calendars that we forget to be still. And we then when we create that still space, we don't actually know how to commune with him. We don't know what that even looks like. Um, or, or how to be filled. And so it was a whirlwind. He, he met me in the messiest moment. And, and as he always does, just brought a lot of clarity on the front of intimacy and receiving from him. Which is really, I, I think, the fodder from which the book grows. The book is fully known. We do have copies to give away today. You can uh, enter the drawing for those copies by texting the word book to 877-933-2484. Uh, Mo, it occurred to me uh, as I was considering, you know, you in the mess of the kitchen floor, and, you know, that's just the reality where we all go from time to time. Um, Mm. You did know, like you did know that the Holy Spirit does show up in the midst of the mess, like because you'd already testified to your experience on the side of a road in a flipped over vehicle, right, of the Holy Spirit. So, Talk a little yeah. bit about like, right, because I, I feel like there are probably some people who are like, you know, hey, she already got her Holy Spirit experience. Like, why should you expect mm-hmm. to get more than one? Like, God does not get tired of showing up. Right. The Holy Spirit experience is is the interconnected, interwoven, rhythmic experience. We are to know our whole lives long. And, and that was what was so interesting to me, because I kind of had that mindset as well of like, God, I don't not believe in you. I don't, you know, 
-hmm. It's not that I don't know you. So why do I feel so far from you? And it's really an under-discipled conversation in the church body of once we've made that proclamation of faith and we're walking with him, how is it that sometimes we can come up gasping for air and feel like I'm a million miles away? I, I just don't feel connected. And um, it's what's beautiful, sort of what I spoke to before is it, it, it wasn't that the space of needing him was unfamiliar to me. It was that once I acknowledged that space, I didn't know how to intimately commune with him. Uh, I didn't know what it looked like to be with him to, you know, we think, okay, we pray and we read the word and, you know, but what is the long arc work that he is doing? It's, it's making us holy. It's sanctifying us. What does it look like to draw near to him and be vulnerable? And, mm -hmm. you know, if you think even of the natural picture of intimacy between a husband and a wife, what does it mean to steal away to that quiet place and to, to be disrobed of our fear and our shame, to, to trust him as he draws near to us, to, you know, exchange to commune with him. Relationships are dynamic. It's not like we just run to the prayer, prayer closet and word vomit and then get up and run out. We wait and we listen for him, right? Like it's this beautiful covenantal love that is um, mutual in expression and somehow changes everything within us. I mean, I think about with, with my husband, his love, his desire, four kids deep, you know, I mean, we're, everything about me has changed and yet he still draws near and man, he can't change the, the stretch marks or the, the, the physical things, but his desire for me to continue to drawing near changes my heart. And this mm. is the same with the father. This is the same with the Holy spirit. He can't, we, we can't erase what's happened in our past, but it doesn't keep us out of his arms. He continues to draw near and continues to want to be with us and speak to us and further see two become one, right? And that changes and transforms our heart. And man, when I started to see, he gave me really fully own unpacks, this blueprint of what it looks like to know intimacy with him. As I started to see and then walk in that blueprint, everything changed, everything changed. And the going and the doing was still able to occur, but man, it was fire powered, right? It was works born of the spirit because they'd been conceived by the spirit in intimacy. And it changed the game for how I did ministry in life. And he gave a really beautiful blueprint in fully known. So the book contains uh, that blueprint for building intimacy with God that uh, that Mo is talking about right now. The book is fully known. Uh, we're giving away copies today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Mo and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, I'm going to ask her, what is yada intimacy? What is that? And how do we get it? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continue my conversation with Mo Isom Aiken, most recently author of Fully Known, but you can visit Mo online at moisom, I-S-O-M dot com. Um, so, Mo, what is yada intimacy and how do we get it? 
just about the best discovery I ever, <laughs> the best revelation the Holy Spirit ever gave me. I, I remember the scripture, probably many of us have heard it and either ignored it or wrestled with it. Uh, but Matthew 7, 21 through 23, it says, not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of my father. Many will say to me, did we not perform miracles? Did we not cast demons? Did we not prophesy? But to them, I will say, away from me, I never knew you. And that was a scripture that terrified me um, until I remembered and until he drew to my heart that he he doesn't condemn us. He's always in the business of, of extending invitation to us. And I couldn't shake those words. I never knew you because these people were arguing their works, right? And that was where I was at. I was doing so many good kingdom things, even though I acknowledged I was burnt out. And they argue their works. And he's like, but you're missing the point. I never knew you. And the, the Hebrew idiom, the translation of that new, the form of that word used is yada. And it's the same way that that, that form of word is used in the scriptures when we see physical intimacy, like Mary had not yet, or Joseph had not yet known Mary, or the man took his wife and he knew her. This was speaking, yada intimacy is a deep, multi-layered, vulnerable, the best parallel I can really give is this like ultimate intimacy, this sexual intimacy. And I was so confused by that. Yet that was the word that Jesus was using. And that's also used throughout the scripture when it talks of a deep knowing of God. And so I said, Lord, listen, <laughs> you're going to have to make this one make sense to me. And that was when he drew me into seeing the incredible parallels of the physical expression of intimacy, this gift that he has given us, the, the context he has provided for us of how it's carried out in its right nature, the physical intimacy we can understand because we're physical beings, right? All that it prophesies of spiritual intimacy, of the great invitation to intimate exchange with him at the spiritual level. And Again, if that's confusing to someone listening, I encourage you to read the book because it was profound how the, the relational progression that we see in our life also helps us better understand the relational progression that we are to have with God and, uh, man, how it bears incredible fruit, how it bears life that, that, uh, builds the kingdom and that yada intimacy. I, once I discovered it, I you can't let it go. It's so rich. It's so rich. And it's what makes words like sanctification and repentance and submission and holiness. It makes all of these things come into technicolor and make perfect sense between Christ and the church. And these things that have confused us or become taboo, or we don't want to talk about, or these counterfeit forms of intimacy that we wrestle with in the natural and in the spiritual, man, when we start to understand yada intimacy. It becomes the greatest invitation to the gospel work in our lives. So um, the part of the book where you start talking about, you know, the cost, because it's a covenant that comes at a cost. I was, right. um, I was just reminded of a pastor who just asked the question once, you know, on behalf of Jesus, it's not, do you love me? It's, do mm -hmm. you love only me? And mm -hmm. I think that the cost of the covenant is that cost. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, 
It's rich and it's heavy. And, and if we think about it, I think a lot of the times because we are sort of in a culture and a time that is so diminished the the incredible power of covenant in so many ways. We're we're very self-seeking overall. And so covenant now seems casual. Um, we want our happiness, we want to be satisfied. If that's not present, we we have a lot of options before us. We can get up and go. And this is very different than the context in which God gave us covenant. This is an abiding love, a love that stays, a love that knows mutual uh, sacrifice and uh, mutual delight, mutual glorification, and really the cost that we see if we come into covenant with Christ. I mean, he rescues us out of our sin. And he doesn't even say, now get prettier. I've I've pulled you out of this brothel of your sin. Now clean yourself up and I'll take a knee for you. No, he rescues us and he takes a knee and proposes marriage to us. And he says, you are mine and I am yours. And when we make that covenant with Christ, man, he begins, he does the work of cleaning us, of healing us, of tending to us, of taking care of his bride. The Holy Spirit begins to prepare us. Um, but this comes too with cost. A covenant is a, a, a two-way street. It's not, hey, you laid your whole life down for me, Christ, and rescued me. So I'm gonna live how I please, or I'm gonna honor you on, you know, one day a week and live how I want the other. Or I'm gonna take some of your word because it's easier to apply to my life, but I'm gonna choose how I uh, interpret the rest. Man, covenantial love is saying, you gave all of your life, Christ, then all of my life is yours. You, you tell me where to go. You tell me what to do. It costs us. It costs us money. It's generosity. It costs us our time. It's investing in others. It, it costs us our, sometimes our thoughts of what our future would be because he's calling us into our actual destiny. There's a lot that truly following Christ costs, but at the end of the day as well, we're invited to focus not just on the cost, but on the gain. What does it look like to live generously? Man, it looks like blessing others. What does it look like to follow his ways rather than our plans? It looks like our path being made straight. What does it look like, you know, to give these costs? The gain is always more of him. It's the clearer hearing of his voice. It's the glorification that comes with pleasing God rather than pleasing man. It's the fullness of life and life abundantly. And so if we are willing to mutually uh, return what has been done for us, we'll know a unification with him and a glory that can't be bought and it can't be um, understood unless it's experienced. And that's ultimately, I believe, what it means to, to see kingdom come and to walk out our calling. Mo, um, what a delight to get to talk with you today. I know folks are going to want to know more. You guys can check out Fully Known at moisom.com. That's I-S-O-M. We're also giving away a handful of copies today to enter the drawing. Just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Mo, what a delight. Blessings on um, blessings on you and your people and what you're doing. We, we appreciate you joining us today. Thanks, Carmen. It was a pleasure. We'll be right back. Oh, 
All right, My Faith Radio story um, is heavily influenced by Neil Stavum. And yesterday, uh, we got to celebrate Neil Stavum's 45th anniversary, 45 years of service to Northwestern Media and uh, the University of Northwestern St. Paul and Faith Radio. So, you know you love him. I came to Faith Radio because Neil Stavum was willing to step aside from hosting Connecting Faith at the noon hour. And so it was literally, um, you know, by by the gift of his willingness to step out of daily broadcasting that I was allowed to step in. And Neil is now our manager and takes care of all of us in the most extraordinary of ways. And so I just want to publicly celebrate Neil today, 45 amazing years. I wouldn't have a faith radio story if it weren't for Neil Um, I'm wondering how maybe uh, in the last 45 years you've been blessed by the ministry of a particular individual through the Faith Radio Network and what you hear and receive uh, every single day so faithfully over this uh, broadcast airwaves as well as through the digital ministry at MyFaithRadio.com. Why don't you share your Faith Radio story with us? Call 877-933-2484 and record your Faith Radio story today. We'd really appreciate knowing and celebrating what God is doing in and through this ministry in your life today. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.